this is where you're meant to be. Like, I know it. I've never. My best self is better than every single person who's going to walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was, was a moment that changed my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. The journey to a better you starts right now. Well, I thought it'd be cool to do a little Arnold recap. Um, you know, it's it's different because both of us had completely different experience competing. I've probably done at least five or six national meets. You've never done one before. So I think it'd be cool to have a perspective of somebody who's done a decent amount of them and somebody who's never done it before. Because I think there was a lot of things, I don't want to speak for you, but that were different than what it's like to do a local meet yeah for sure i mean in the competition realm i've been to the national meets with you um so at least i got an idea i wasn't like brand new um i think amanda maybe that was her first time being at a national meet probably brenna too but um you know i was at least able to see it before um with albuquerque for you and where else have we gone um, that's, gone anywhere else together? that's probably the only national meet that we've been to together. Which other ones have you done then? I've done AO2 in 2018. That was the one in Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. And then I did University Nationals 2019. Vegas. That was in Vegas. And then I did Daytona in 2019. Which one was that? That was AO3. Okay. They don't have AO3 anymore. No, I don't think so. Now it's just the one in America, one in Canada. Oh, they're doing it that way always now? I think so. Okay. Going forward. So AO1, always the Arnold. Yeah. AO2 in Canada in like July? I want to say it's more towards September. Nationals week is June. Oh, right. The end of June. And then I'm guessing that's going to be in September and then AO finals in December. Right, right. Got it. Yeah. So I th- I do think it's cool. Do you think being in person before helped you a little bit absolutely able to take it oh yeah because actually when we were in albuquerque in september or october whenever we were there uh the setup was totally different so for that competition they had three platforms and they were set up on stages for this one there were a record number of weightlifters that qualified and registered for the arnold so they had to have how many were in that one room six Six platforms. Six platforms. And I guess they couldn't make that many stages in that time. I don't know if they didn't have the equipment or if they wanted to just make it easier on them, which I don't blame them for. Uh, But this meet, there were no stages. There was just the platform on the floor. So that part of it felt like a local comp. Um, So it actually kind of felt less intimidating than seeing you go up on the stage and having to take those couple steps up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's the only meet that I've ever done that hasn't been staged. Oh, really? The platforms on stages. Yeah, I think they always do that. Yeah, and the screens were different too. So like at Albuquerque at AO2 last year, the backdrop essentially of your of lifting, you had all of the um, the people's names and their attempts and whether or not they've made it, like that screen, whatever it's called. And this one, the screens were so tiny. They were like 42-inch TVs yeah. <laughs> in comparison yeah, to Yeah, so the you huge... couldn't see it from the crowd. No, you not at all. You couldn't see what people were doing. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if they're planning on 
keeping it like in this capacity and and doing it repeating that setup or if they're going to go back to the AO2 kind of setup with bigger and better I feel like you know AO2 was a better setup yeah I think um you know obviously the more people that qualify is a great thing but it also when you get to meets like AO finals and nationals I do think it's a little bit more you want to build it up because you have a lot of great athletes competing not that there aren't a lot of great athletes competing at AO1 but it's a little more like hey this is the best that we have to offer the series meets are awesome because so many people can qualify yeah on that note I have a question do you feel like the qualification the barrier to entry is too low for AO1 or do you think that they should be able to we should be able to compete in the previous year qualify for AO1 then if you don't do AO1 say you need a higher total to qualify for AO2 and then you know the ultimate is finals and you would need a higher qualifying total for that how do you feel as though they manage the qualification process and the totals and stuff I mean the totals are definitely on the lower side but I do think it's good because you want more people to get exposure you're never gonna be able to replicate what it's like to get out on the platform if you don't actually do it that's true so I do think it's great for people to you know it's any competition or any date on the calendar I think that's always having something to train for is important especially I mean that might be the pinnacle for some people to hit the qualifying total to get into AO1 Mm -hmm. and for some people that's never a problem they do that on their first meet or even before they even compete right but I do think it's important to have people you know you you can have masters athletes compete you can have you know people who are just getting into the sport get experience right away so it's not like I because I think up until I want to say 2016 they just had the American Open and that was essentially American Open finals so you did local meets throughout the year, and then oh, at the okay. end of the year, it was just you qualify for American Open, or I think they had nationals too. So that's obviously going to be a little bit higher, but there just wasn't as many opportunities for people to compete. So I mean, anytime that you can get exposure to people doing the sport, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And there was even a girl training or warming up next to me who this was her second meet ever. So she did one meet to qualify herself for the Arnold, and the Arnold was her second meet, which I think is crazy. She did really well, though. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you can't replicate that. Just, um, you know, getting on the platform in front of a bunch of people is a completely different experience, and I'm sure we'll get into it later, but I noticed the A sessions, especially the females, there's two, 300 people watching, mm-hmm. especially when Kate and I came out every single person in the crowd is videoing her and it's funny you saw all the people just head down to get get a little bit closer to her so if you've never experienced that yeah i mean how often do we get to see an olympian lift yeah that was pretty cool yeah we'll definitely um touch on that later maybe some of go over some of our favorite lifters who we like to watch Mm -hmm. but i just kind of i think it'd be cool to break down the whole process of what it's like to show up to a meet and how you weigh in, how you um, get warmed up, everything like that, because there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And especially our, like my dad watches on 
the live stream, but he doesn't see me weighing in. He doesn't see me warming up. Sometimes he'll hear my name come out, get called, and then I don't come out for four or five attempts. So just kind of breaking that down for the everyday people or somebody who is thinking about, you know, doing AO2 or doing the Arnold next year. Yeah. So we got there the day before which is nice they do set up the training hall in the afternoon the day before so you can get there and train i do think that's important um you know especially if you're flying in or you're taking a long drive we drove probably eight and a half hours that day so it was really good to get in there move around a little bit yeah for sure and and feel the energy of that space too that was that was good i mean i was surprised at how big of an event there wasn't as many warm-up platforms as I expected I guess but it was good it was definitely good to move and to just kind of get a little bit of the nerves out by lifting yeah and I mean you get into the training hall and every platform is taken every bar is being used you kind of have to you have to get in there and figure it out like see who's who's about to be finishing up their clean and jerks and be like hey can i use your platform yeah, when exactly. you're done so it's like no rush no rush but uh can i have that bar no rush no rush yeah exactly <laughs> and there's like hey there's no green plates anywhere you're trying to yeah you're doubling up fives and yeah you're mixing matching everything but i do think the training hall environment is important just to get in there and um you know, everybody's, I think, a little bit nervous, regardless of what level you are. You're preparing for a meet for two, three months at a time. So to have that where you're not necessarily, you're obviously not on the platform that you're going to be competing on, but it's relatively similar. You're using the same bars, the same plates. So I do think that is cool. So we checked in um, the day before, got on the training hall. We pretty much trained relatively right after we got there didn't have much time to relax but you know just acclimating to the environment I think is is a good thing Mm -hmm. as fast as you can because if you if you get there and you're sitting around all day and then you just expect to compete in your session and do well I don't think that's going to necessarily happen yeah I think treating the day as regularly and as normally as possible is important like we went to the grocery store we went to Aldi we picked up some essentials that we didn't bring so we were able to get the food that we typically eat and just you know treat it as we just like we would be at home and I mean anytime you have a big stressor like that an event there's so many things that are outside of your control that you do want to bring everything that you can control you want to do that the same as if you were just a normal day going to the gym yeah and then that's that goes the same goes for bringing you know what equipment you need for warm-ups and what snacks you want to have during your training if you need anything if people have candy or or whatever but I mean luckily that luckily we drove because if we flew we wouldn't be able to bring half the stuff that we did I mean we for sure overpacked but I was happy that we could bring what we wanted to bring I mean I brought my pillow so I could have um, a normal kind of sleep um we brought the foam roller wouldn't really be able to bring that onto a plane easily so you know we we were able to have the things that we needed so that we could warm up the same way we do in the crossfit gym that we train at and then be able to just treat it as similarly as possible yeah we brought the theragun too Mm -hmm. so got to do that beforehand 
Yeah, I mean, just treating it like a normal day. Like, what can you do? What do you need to do to make everything as normal as possible leading up to a high-stress thing? Yeah. The only difference is that people are loading your plates for you. I mean, yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that part. I, I always say it, like, being an athlete is the easiest thing that you can possibly do, especially at a meet like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, coaching is stressful. Loading is just physical, but... Yeah, I, I, even that is stressful. Like watching you compete, I'm, because I'm only focused on you. So I do think that's cool. That's one of the great things about having a team show up because everybody kind of has a chance to focus on that one person. Hey, what do you need? Do you need, do you need food? Do you need snacks? Mm-hmm. We need a loader back there. We need, um, do you have your headphones? Like, what do you need? Yeah. What do you need? That's, what you're doing yeah. for two hours you're just focused on one person which is cool and some people who haven't been to a meet like that where they are supposed to be helping in the back we didn't have anybody like this I don't think but um you know I see other people like looking around and like watching other athletes and like their friend is hitting them like hey you, it's not loaded correctly <laughs> like you got to pay attention you got to be focused on the athlete at that time so it was really nice that we had we had nine people from our team that went and competed I think, right? Nine? Yeah, I think it was nine. And it was awesome that everybody was at a different time, essentially, with the exception of you and Maggie, but it was it was spread out enough that Joe was able to help with both, and, you know, we were able to give each of you guys attention, I think. Yeah, I, di- I honestly didn't even notice when Joe was gone, which was cool. That is good. I mean, that's a good thing. <laughs> if I noticed, like, hey, where's my coach at? Yeah. That might have been you know, an added stressor. Yeah. So how about the weigh-in process? Um, You know, at a local meet, it's pretty easy, especially if you know the person who's doing your weigh-in. It's really not a stressful thing, but how about at a national meet? Was there anything different that you didn't really expect? I didn't expect, so at local meets, you basically have, the weigh-in opens up two hours before your session starts, and then you have one hour to weigh in. So if your session starts at two o'clock, the weigh-in opens up at noon and you have from noon to one to weigh in so I thought you could just show up between you know noon and one and weigh in but that wasn't how it was at all so I also didn't know you needed your ID I thought your credentials could um, just work for the weigh-in process so but yeah the um, they called you by name so they kind of went down a list I don't know what kind of order but I found Meech in the back area there because he had an athlete that was weighing in at the same time and uh, he was like oh they already called your name we got there at what 10 10 my weigh-in opened at 10 o'clock we got there at like 10 10 and he was like oh yeah they already called your name I was like well what does that mean <laughs> little panic mode there and he's like oh you just have to wait until they call it again I was like oh I can't just go back um, so yeah I would that would be a, one piece of advice that I didn't know about or I wouldn't even think about is to make sure that you're getting there exactly two hours before so that you have the most amount of time to you know once they call your name you're back there you get weighed in now it's your time now you can relax you can eat you can rehydrate if you need to like do all of those things Um, but if you push it to that half hour in or close to the hour mark then you know they might not call your name right away and then your your window of opportunity to eat and rehydrate and fuel up is much smaller. Yeah, so it's a two hour weigh in, but you're not you're not usually getting those 
whole two hours. Right. So especially like you missed it, you might have only had an hour and 20 minutes until after you weighed in till the time that you were competing. So if you were cutting weight, that's a big difference having 40 extra minutes to oh, yeah. get your carbs in, get some electrolytes, do all those things. So yeah, I mean, that's something that I definitely think people should take into account. So just get there early. Like you can always, you can always have extra time to relax and kill time. You can figure out, you know, listening to music, stuff like that if you need downtime, but getting there on time, especially people who are cutting weight, you do not want to miss them calling your name because you might have 10 people in front of you before you get called again. So you're just sitting there and you're like, Hey, I'm not sure if I can eat or not. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So the weigh in two hours before you're getting done probably an hour and a half before you actually um, go in the back and compete. But like, what did you do specifically to warm up after weigh-ins? Like, did you have a window where you kind of just chilled out for a little bit or did you just start warming up and trying to? I don't remember. I didn't start warming up until half an hour before my session started. Um, Or even a little bit after that because we knew I wasn't going to be opening up first which was amazing um I don't remember I think I kind of chilled out for a little bit I ate some food went back that's right I went back in the stands a little bit um ate some food and then waited until the half hour or 25 minutes before the session started and then I went back and did my normal warm-up routine and another big thing is that so the national meets are by entry total and with this many athletes competing everyone in the sessions typically up to the b and a sessions were really really close so everybody in your session i believe had an entry total of what 112 to 115 yeah yeah within three kilos so like everybody was opening with the same weight which was very different for me that was a totally different experience for me compared to local meets local meets i'm usually you know, the first to go. I usually have a very low snatch total compared to other people that are lifting uh, in my session. And, you know, it was really cool. And I was really happy not to be the first one and not to follow myself. So that was great. Yeah. So a local meet, sometimes you're competing with people, you're 59, you're competing with people who are 76, who are 87, sometimes 87 plus sometimes 45s 49 so everybody's kind of lumped into a category it usually doesn't go by entry total right just because there's not that many people doing it right right so did you feel like you needed to adjust anything or prepare differently because you weren't going to be the first one opening up no i just trusted i mean that's what the beauty of having a coach there is like he's supposed to or she is supposed to tell you all right you have x amount of time before you're taking your first attempt so use that window of warm-up time do your warm-up routine and then we'll start you know hitting some lifts but everything was the same for me so since you have coached is there like was it easy to be the athlete do you look at the board and try to figure out how many attempts oh, out no. you are nope Mm-mm. i didn't look at the board once okay yeah so that's good i was in the zone i was actually really proud of myself for how well i handled the back room and i didn't get ner like i don't know i guess i was nervous but i didn't get worked up i wasn't worried i totally trusted joe and you to get me like 
enough attempts and ready to go for whatever attempt I was taking, whatever lift number I was taking. So yeah, I just listened to my music and waited to be told what to do. That's something I wanted to talk about too, like kind of knowing what type of athlete you are, knowing how you need to prepare for those three lifts out on the stage. So a lot of things are differently than you're used to. So there's a lot of chaos. Are you a person who listens to music? Are you a person who doesn't need music? We're different in that sense. I don't listen to any music. I don't have headphones on I know, in the I think you need to start. <laughs> See, I've, I've done it before, and usually I'm just a person who I get all those, like it's too many senses going mm-hmm. on at one time. It's like already stressful. So I'm like, I don't need any more input right now. I just need to be able to hear myself think, to be able to hear Joe when it's time to take an attempt. But you were completely lost. Yeah. Not lost. <laughs> I don't want to say lost. Yeah. But. No, I was in the zone. I was just literally listening to, to my music. I kind of I kind of was looking down, like my gaze was down, but I didn't want to look at any other lifters. I, I shared a platform with a girl. I think her name was Abby. I could be wrong. Um, but she, I saw some of her lifts, but I didn't want to look at any lifters because I didn't want to watch them miss. Um, I have a, I, I sometimes have a comparison issue where I'm like, oh, I would have done things differently there in that lift or, or, oh, they should have kept their feet down longer. You know, I would think about those things and I didn't need to do that. So I kept my headphones in. I, Joe would either tap me, you know, when it was time to go or point if he was in front of me just get my attention somehow so for me that was beneficial when we had when I was in the back for other athletes who were with who was with us um you know some of them who haven't competed before this was their first big meet and it was for me too but I knew at least I knew what to expect because I was there with you before but some of our other athletes were so stressed about oh I'm hearing my name, I'm hearing my name, I have to go. And it's like, no, I literally had to hold Amanda down. <laughs> I was like, you're not going, it's okay. You just just wait, wait until we tell you. Um, so she had one headphone in so she could hear with her other ear. I'm like, I don't know, that's one thing I would recommend if people don't listen to music at big meets but they are used to using it in training, like those should definitely correlate. Yeah. I mean, that's the experience factor. You need to do it, and you need to do it both ways. Like, try a meet where you listen to music. Try a meet where you don't listen to music. And see which one you like better. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how, especially me, doing these meets, doing a lot of them, I feel like I've kind of dialed it in to where I can do everything the way I want to do it because I have made those mistakes. I have, you know, listened to the wrong music and then over pulled on my snatches or you know got too hype and then had too much of a break in between my clean and jerk and you know just getting out on the platform I view it as more of an experience thing instead of like and we're all at different points I don't have to I'm not trying to qualify for an international team or my total isn't high enough where I'm going to be you know competitive or worried about winning so I can really just dial everything into myself and just see where I end up. Now, having done many national meets and many local meets, do you feel, because I don't know what this is like yet, but do you feel like going from a national meet to a local meet, do you treat them the same personally? 
I think it depends on training. It's almost like expectation. If you have an expectation to where you're peaked and you're ready for a big total, I think regardless of what kind of platform it is, I'm expecting more of myself. Where this one, I just felt like, hey, my openers might be super low, much lower than I'm used to. I'm not really sure how I'm going to feel on that day. So I think just managing expectations, it, it doesn't really matter to me where the platform is. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we can get to that a little bit later. But how about time in between attempts? You had <laughs> you had a massive break. Yeah. So th- you had 13 minutes between your first and second snatch. Yeah. What was that For, like? Well, it didn't feel like 13 minutes. Um, and I had no concept of time whatsoever, which was cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, we opened light uh, because I wanted to open light. I really wanted to hit my opening snatch. That was my one goal for this meet is to hit my opening snatch. And I wanted to make sure of that. So I didn't want to risk opening up a little bit heavier, even though I know I could. Um, but I wanted to have that security of, all right, I hit one. Now shake the nerves off and, and go a little heavier. So Joe and I talked about it beforehand, and we opened at 47. Um, my next attempt was going to be 50, but because of this, the competitive nature of this meet and how close everybody's total was, everyone else wanted to do, you know, it was one kilo jumps, I think, right? So you had to wait for six other girls to do 48. You had to wait for six other girls to do 49. Um, so there wasn't as much play in kilos as there is in local meets. I feel like that was the biggest difference. So yeah, my time in between attempts, it wasn't though, you know, I wasn't sitting down and not doing anything for 13 minutes, but I was really happy with how it went. I was taking uh, additional attempts in the back and after 47, I think we hit 49 probably in the back and I probably hit that a few times, or maybe I hit 47 again, then 49, then 49. We were going to go out for 50. Um, So I eventually went out for 50, hit that. And then how many minutes were between second and third attempt? I don't even know. 10. (laughs) Yeah. So after 50, I went in the back, and I think I probably hit 50 again at least once. Then I hit 50, well, I missed 52, actually. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to go out for 53. So, but I can hit, I told Joe, I can hit snatch after snatch after snatch. Like, they don't wear me out. They don't exhaust me. Um, I'm much more comfortable hitting a repeat snatch weight in the back than doing waves or something like that, where, like, you know, Joe has has had to wave up and then wave back down and I know just based on my training I do not do well with back down sets I once I hit 50 and we have an abundance of time I'm staying at 50 I'm not going to go down to 43 or 45 and wave back up just because I know that I don't do well with that I don't tend to hit them as nicely I mean, that's good that you know that about yourself because I probably would have had you go back down to 40 and wave back up. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm your coach and 
I mean, I've brought that up recently. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, just having you—you you, had to practice. I think you had to practice both. Yeah. Like find out if you're good at doing back down sets and waving back up, or find out if you need to just keep repeating. Mm-hmm. And that's—I mean—that's volume and training. Like you need—you needed to be prepared. So you hit three snatches at you know above ninety-ish percent, but you really hit seven or eight. Oh yeah. So if you don't train for that, if you ha- only have three attempts in you at above ninety percent, and you have to wait thirteen minutes in the back, it's going to be really hard to hit those second and third lifts. Right. So I mean, that's something obviously like you need to figure that out with your coach. But like, what do you need to do in between attempts? See, I don't like taking heavier snatches in the back. I feel like just because my technique is not as good i feel like i'm more likely to miss in the back and you missed your last warm-up before you went out and hit your third attempt and i feel like for me that would throw me off i would feel like oh i have no business taking this next weight if i just missed the last one see i think that's all mindset stuff and you talk about mindset all the time right and maybe that's something that you need to start re-implementing if you haven't been i don't know but um I feel like after I missed 52 and I knew I was going out for 53, I knew that the miss was so close. It was really stupid that I missed it. So I was like, all right, that's no problem. I hit this weight all the time now. I'm I'm back up to routinely hitting 52. So I knew what I needed to do and what I needed to change. And I think I just took my time going out on the platform. And that was new and different for me, this meet, than compared to all other meets before, like all the local meets, I would rush out there. I'm like, oh, I don't want people looking at me. Let me just run out there, hit this lift. Maybe I hit it, maybe I don't, and then run off and don't make eye contact with anybody. This one, I was like zen. I was chill. I was like, okay, let me go out there. I'm going to get my bearings. I'm going to look around. I'm going to see where I'm going to look out when I actually go for the lift. And not going to worry about the timer. I'm going to see where it is and make sure that I'm going to lift it in time. But I don't know. I was just chill and I was like, "All right, I can I can definitely hit this 53." Like this is I just have to do the same thing. And it's just training my mind to say, "I know how to do it. I just have to trust that I'm going to do it on the platform." Did you find a focal point beforehand? I did. And I think it was either you or Joe t- that told me to do that after introductions, which was brand new for me. I've never done that before. Now I think I'm going to do it every single meet. That helped so much because at local meets I always, like I said, I run out there, I, I look at the bar, I don't even look out at the judges. I'm looking at the bar and I get set and I do my setup and then I go to lift and I look up and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there's people looking at me. So that immediately throws you off. So after introductions, Joe told me, you know, walk out, pretend that you're gonna lift the bar, get set up, get in your space and find a focal point. And doing that definitely helped what did you look at specifically? i looked at the railing i could see the railing the guard rail thing um above the center judge's head so that was my focal it's important to pick a focal point that's not going to move so if you say hey i'm going to look at that guy with the eagle's hat Mm. and if you're going to look at that eagle logo and then you look up and it's not there you're kind of thrown off so pick something that's not going to change yeah i mean that's something that I worked on in baseball like if I needed to take a breath in between pitches in between at bats it was something that's not going to change 
because if you're if you're focused on that one thing that you're going to look at and you're like oh wait where's that guy with the eagles hat he's gone yeah or he's sitting in a different seat and then it just kind of throws you off mentally even if it's for a tenth of a second it's just a little bit of a shock that you weren't ready for yeah and when he told me to do that i was like yeah nobody does that like come on but sure shit they they do and even i think the the better sessions the the moving to the b and the a sessions everybody does it and i'm like wow this is a thing i didn't know that so um because i'm always in the back for you for introductions i have no idea what people are doing out there um but that was new for me and it's definitely something that i would like to do at even local meets just to get a just to get your bearings so i think that helps a lot so how about the break in between snatch and clean and jerk like or even just warming up to the clean and jerk once you get done snatches and you did really well you went three for three i'm sure you know you're happy with your performance but you still have three lifts how do you kind of get refocused and not just be you know happy you hit three lifts already that's great that's Mm -hmm. awesome like you everything went according to plan how do you kind of refocus on the clean and jerks because i think i think a lot of people have a problem if you do well or if you do poorly but you have that the initial adrenaline dump you did those three lifts now they're over but you have to rewarm up you're basically starting again with the bar it can be hard to bring yourself back up yeah i i didn't have that much time between snatches and clean and jerk um i don't well i'm lying i I could have you had a lot of time okay um i think i was the last one to open for clean and jerk wasn't i Mm -hmm. yeah that was cool (laughs) i'm like wow this is what it's like to be like top in the session um not that that matters but so i first thing for me was i had to pee like get that singlet off <laughs> and just empty the bladder because once you put the belt on for clean and jerks I'm like oh boy is anything gonna come out um but yeah so warming back up I was happy after the snatch performance for sure and I did feel like my nerves were totally calm after that but as soon as I started warming back up for clean and jerks I'm like okay the nerves are back and it was like the the adrenaline reintroduced itself which I very instinctually I remember um what that felt like and I don't think I've felt that at other meets I also haven't done enough meets to really learn that but yeah so warming back up I was pretty confident in opening at 67 because that's like a routine weight I know you were really nervous for me to open at 67 yeah just because I mean it is 93 95 percent it I mean those weights like people don't realize that they feel differently out there sometimes they feel easier but sometimes they feel a lot fucking harder (laughs) well for you too yours felt a lot harder than they looked Mm -hmm. so okay so you warmed up uh you hit 67 as your opener yeah i was super happy with that that felt like butter it felt so good which gave me confidence so i was like all right 70 no problem and that's a typical jump for me 67 to 70 and I've been I've been hitting 70 pretty routinely over the last few weeks in training. So I was like, all right, 70. It's a number that I'm comfortable with. And I'm really excited because I want to hit 70. And then I, my goal was 73 because I've been missing. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've attempted it, at least twice, but I've missed the jerk. So anyway, I uh, went out there and I was really confident with 70. 
But something happened where I think I blanked. I think my my brain just blanked a little bit and I totally forgot to pull the bar in after I made contact. And once I made contact, the bar stayed out in front. It looked from different videos that I saw, it looked like a great clean. And if you look at my feet though on the videos, I caught it on my toes. So it looked like just from the naked eye looking at it, it's like, oh, she cleaned it and she couldn't stand it up. But I didn't even catch it well. I didn't receive it well. So it was too far out in front. I was really pissed off. I ripped my belt off. I yelled fuck. And then (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, I have two-minute clock in my brain. I have two-minute clock. Um, I didn't know if I was going to do 70 again or if Joe was going to bump me up. I was hoping he wasn't going to put me at 73. That was my only thing. I was like, I really want to make another clean and jerk. Like I've totaled 67 or I've hit 67 and 68 in meets before. I really wanted 70 because I wanted the big reds and I wanted to make that that meet PR. So and then, I mean, another thing that people aren't really used to, like your clock got burned. Yeah, So, which I didn't even know. Luckily, again, I had my headphones in. I had no idea what was going on, but that, that coach in the back wanted to pull some A session stuff on me. Yeah, so you went from having two minutes in between attempts to you're on the clock and you have, you know, 50 seconds and Joe has to make a decision. Like, do we go heavier or do we stay at this weight and see if you can hit it? And another thing, I feel like a broken record, but like knowing what you can do in training, you have to practice these things. So if you miss a clean and jerk, practice it where, hey, I have a one minute clock. I have to hit this right away. Some people have never done that before. You might take four or five minutes in between attempts when you're going for a max single. If you've never, you know, taken a clean and jerk on tired legs, that's something that's going to feel different. That's me. I think the only time that I've experienced something similar was doing that double recently over the last two months or something. I doubled 67 clean and jerk. And that was, I felt exhausted after that. I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be totally fried. But yeah, so burned my clock, but we went up. Joe put me at 72, which I was so happy about. Um, and I hit that. I should not have been given the jerk. I've re- I, know I, I know that, you know, Jim Rudder said, hey, they gave it to you. It's great. You know, and, and Joe was like, they gave it to you. It's good. But you know how much of a stickler I am for the lockout. So I was, you know, I'm happy that they gave it to me, I guess, but I didn't deserve that. Um, the clean was a struggle bus and the jerk was it definitely was a press out but they gave it to me they gave me three whites for that (laughs) i mean that's something you can't control i know i know so i'll take it it's on the record it's a meat pr so i'll just go out and make sure i do it better next time yeah and yeah i mean you did really well from my perspective just the things experiencing your first meet having 13 minutes in between your first and second attempt that could have been hey this is too long a break I can't do this like I'm not ready to go out there I think it's easy to when that adversity hits to make excuses for yourself I've had a long wait and even for me like just if you vocalize that if you vocalize hey this is taking too long what's going on or you know I'm not feeling right now after you have that long of a break if you're 
vocalizing that, putting it out, I think you're already putting yourself in a position to miss. That's that's what happened for me um, before I hit my first clean and jerk. There was a long time, because Joe had me hit 64 in the back. There was a long time before I hit, from hitting 64 in the back to going out for 67. And I was like, I'm getting in my head a little bit. I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, it's been a while. I know it's been a while. I'm starting to feel that it's been a while. Um, so that's when I was like, all right, can I, I need to pull. I just want to pull it. So I think, and we talked about this after the meet. We can move on from talking about myself. I've talked about myself for 15 minutes now, at least I'm sure. But, um, you know, talking about what went well afterwards and what we could improve on, I think one of the things that at dinner when we went out with Joe and Emily, I think we need to start, like you said, doing things more in training that are different and something that throws us out of our comfort zone um, and figuring out, especially between clean and jerks, because clean and jerks are a lot harder. It, it's heavy, right? So I feel like we need to figure out what the best thing to do. Like Jim told us in Albuquerque that some of his female lifters like to hit another heavy clean and jerk in the back. And I think that's wild. I couldn't even imagine doing that. Um, But knowing if you like to pull or if you like to do a a back down, I would love to maybe practice that because Joe has said that repeatedly where, you know, maybe if you have an extra minute and a half or an extra two minutes that you didn't account for because there was a change, you know, back down and hit a lower clean and jerk, um, hit 60 or something. But in my brain, I can't hit 60 and go out for an attempt at 70, even though I already hit 67. It's just the order. Like I can't, I can't wrap my brain around that, but that might be something that I need to start changing in training. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we're hobbyist lifters. We're not people who are going to spend three or four hours in the gym. So I think a lot of times it's easier to do that imam work and to get stuff done really fast. Yeah, get in, get out, get dinner. (laughs) But if you have, I mean, to take 12 minutes in between attempts, that's a long time. But that might be something that's necessary to put into your training, especially as you're approaching competition. So, you know, what do you need to do in between those 12 minutes? Is it three attempts every four minutes or yeah, every four minutes? Or is it, you know, you're doing heavy pulls, you're doing or back downs. Yeah. 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 So just, just finding what works for you. I want to spend this year kind of playing with training a little bit more too. And like trying out those things because next year the goal is masters nationals. Um, could have done it this year right but we wanted to do the Arnold with everybody else so Masters Nationals next year will be in uh, Valley Forge oh really yeah I didn't know that you didn't no yeah that's awesome yep so no excuses Kelly Hughes gotta be there (laughs) (laughs) so okay so you I mean you mentioned after the meet just reflecting what did you reflect on what were the things that you could have done better what were the things that you thought you did really well Honestly, I think I, I was really, really happy with how well I did. I was happy that I was able to put everything else, the, all the other stressors aside, because I had clients that were trying to make weight during this meet, and that was stressful on me. Um, just making sure that they're eating the right things and they're drinking the right things and, and 
they're going to make weight for their lifts. But just putting all of that aside, I was really happy that I was so much, I was able to be in the zone so much and not think about anything else. So that I thought went really, really well. Um, What didn't go well? I mean, my reaction to the 70, we could always work on my reactions because they get a little negative. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think I flipped the switch pretty well. I think I, once I got mad and ripped off the bell, even the CrossFit coaches, when they were watching me, they, I saw them in the gym the next week and they were like, oh, rip that belt off. (laughs) So people notice those things. So I'd rather not have those types of reactions. I think that's my takeaway for what I can do differently. Yeah. And we talked in, I mean, we were in bed and we probably talked for an hour about the meet. Yeah. Just how everything went. Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you lifted that day too. Yeah. How and do you feel about your performance? Um, you know, it's hard to say cause I'm a competitive person. So this, this meet, I wasn't training much and I'm not going to sit here and give excuses, but I just wasn't training as much as I normally do going into a meet. I did not hit numbers that I thought I was capable of hitting for whatever reason, whether it be, you know, due to not training or just outside doing jujitsu more and trying to figure out how that fits into my training. But I didn't really have expectations probably up until a week out. And then I'm just naturally competitive. So when those numbers get put on the bar, I want to hit them. So, I mean, it's always frustrating to not perform at 100% of your capacity, but also, I mean, I look back and, you know, how much I did train for this meet, I thought I did really well for for what went on outside of training. Absolutely. I think you did really well too, because your heart really wasn't in training the last three months or so. Yeah, and so, but sometimes you need that. Like I think honestly taking a break was the best thing that I could have done for my weightlifting. And I heard that from Danny Camargo, who's um, a really well-known weightlifting coach. He ended up quitting the sport because he didn't have time off. He said if he would have just took two or three months off, he probably would have kept going. And he ended up just quitting because he was burnt out and he just transitioned to coaching and didn't want to compete anymore. So for me, actually saying, hey, I just need a little bit of a break. And I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to be done lifting forever. Uh, Like at a certain point, I did. I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I don't want to do it anymore. And yeah, I mean, like being kind of okay with that, being I'll see where I'm at. If I want to do it, great. If I don't, I'm not going to put pressure on myself. I'm not qualifying for Pan Ams or anything like that. I'm not lifting on the rogue stage. Really, it doesn't fucking matter. It does matter to me, but it doesn't matter to anybody else if I lift or not. So, you know, just having some downtime to reflect, to do other things, to do CrossFit, to do jujitsu, it was exactly what I needed. So, and then going into the meet, you know, about a week out, I was like, oh, I'm hitting pretty good numbers. Let's see, you, you know, maybe I'll PR. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say I had like a false sense of what I could do, but I think I expected myself to do a little bit better than I did. I think you did very well given the circumstances you were in. Yeah. I think I, you should give yourself a lot of credit for, for coming out of a training block where you were only going three days a week Mm -hmm. and 
not really pushing it in the gym? Because you said you haven't hit 137 in how many months? The last time I hit 130 was November, and I opened with 133 in the clean and jerk. There you go. So, so that's a win. Yeah. You know, I think it's just – I think you especially, you don't really push yourself in training. We have a lot of people in the gym that, that push themselves in training, um, and you're not one of those people. So maybe that's, I don't know, is that something that you want to try to do more often, or do you feel like you don't need to do it, and it, it shows up for you when it shows up on the platform? <laughs> I mean, I wish it worked like that. I mean, it did at the other meet we yeah. did last summer, yeah, right? Yeah, it did. But I think that meat also like pushed a false sense of security in me that hey i don't need to go heavy in training to do well on the platform mm. so it happened one time and yeah it was great but you can't just i mean the training is important it's important and it's not important at the same time if you have a really bad training cycle leading into a meet you need to think that you had the best training cycle leading into yeah. it but you know at the same time you have to be realistic and say hey i didn't hit these numbers like if you don't hit the numbers and that's what i mean if you look at really top level lifters they're the numbers that they're hitting on the platform are relatively low compared to what they usually hit in training mm -hmm. so what yeah the, not everybody's going out for prs on the platform yeah and i mean a lot of times it's probably closer to 93 94 95 so i mean having the confidence to hit 95 percent versus 100 percent is a lot different mm-hmm yeah, for sure. So I think that's something that people get lost, especially, you know, competing at a meet like this. I think a lot of people think that they're going to PR on the platform. And you might, but in all likelihood, you're probably not going to. Yeah. And I think it's also important. I was talking to one of the one of my clients, and it's, it's important to have a goal going in. Do you want to go six for six? If that's the case, if that's your goal, you might want to, you might have to play it a little safe with your numbers. You might have to open lower than you thought you were going to um, in order to be consistent and keep your level, um, you know, staying level-headed and everything and, and just being confident and going out and hitting those lifts. So is your goal going six for six or is your goal to PR? So... I don't know. I feel like there's a very fine line between having a goal to PR and the potential of bombing out. Yeah. And I mean, you see those those higher levels, they essentially have to do that. They have to either bomb out or they're going to have really good meat. And mm -hmm. there's kind of no in between. Yeah. I, I mean, we saw that with the 64s to get into metal contention or make those teams. You can't open at 85% yeah. and be like, hey, I'm going to hit one on the on the platform and then go back, take a couple warm-ups because you're just not going to be able to get to your top sets. Right. So that's a lot different. And, I mean, it's it was cool because I saw a lot of high-level lifters and just, you know, taking things away from that. When, when I'm watching, yeah, I'm a fan of the sport of weightlifting, but I'm kind of watching to see, hey, what do they do? And how can I bring that into yeah. myself? So, I mean, one thing I really took away was – you know just how many people were watching the 64s and the 71s and the 76s we i mean those were sessions that i like circled on the calendar and i'm like yeah. hey we're gonna be back here at four and six for these ones yeah but they were exciting yeah watching them and you know everyone who's high level their first warm-up looks the same as their 100 percent on the platform 
And that's something that mine does not. Yeah. The consistency is is crazy. I mean, same thing, same th- I think all of us at the gym, I mean, we don't have, we have very few people that have that look where your first warm up is the same as going for 100%. So, yeah, I mean, we should be treating every lift the same. We should be treating 25 kilos the same as 125 kilos. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, it's hard to do that. Like, especially if this is your hobby, like how much mental energy do you want to put into it? I don't know. I mean, I think it's worth it to, if you want to do well in competition, like, yeah, we're still hobbyist weightlifters, but I still want to do well in competition because I know what it's like to bomb out. (laughs) I know what it's like to have shitty meat after shitty meat, you know, and I have nobody to blame but myself in those situations. But if I can do something a little bit differently in training to account for doing better in a meet, because I I still do want to compete. Not a competitive person. I don't even like saying compete. But I still want to go to meets. I want to see what I can do. And I want to, especially being a first-year master's, I want to see where I can go from here. Is there is there anything else like you really took away from the meet? Like, did you have extra motivation to keep competing? I think just watching those high level, the A sessions. I mean, Maddie Storms is one of my favorites to watch because her technique is just beautiful. Jordan's technique is beautiful. They all have like such great technique, and the lockouts are so good. So that that drives me. That makes me wanna get better I think that's good because some people look at you know the top and they're like well I'll never be that oh well I'll never be that but I can look like that at lower weights that's where I like I can have that lockout I can make my technique look like a top level athlete but you know I'm just not as strong as them so it's that's fine with me I'd rather have really really good technique than shitty technique and be able to muscle up some weights yeah it's almost like in the UFC like do you want to be known as the tough guy (laughs) that's like the guy who's really strong but doesn't necessarily have the best technique yeah just flopping all over the place yeah do you want to be known as the guy who you you might not win every fight but you look really good doing it. yeah exactly I'm just I just want to look good doing it (laughs) well that's awesome I think um you know being realistic with yourself is important and one of the things I took away I mean fucking 73 clean and jerk 182 i'm never gonna hit that in my life no matter what i do if i quit my job if i train full time (laughs) no matter what i fucking do i'm never gonna do that so for a long time in weightlifting i compared myself to those people let me try to make an international team or let me try to you know see how far i can push it and if you have the wrong goal you're never gonna hit them so for me to compare myself to an 18 year old who's doing this full time and going to school for weightlifting, I'm <laughs> that's just unrealistic. But like for me, you know, especially taking that time off was really good. But to just see where I can end up, I feel like I got some extra motivation to, you know, I'm never going to be, never going to be that. Not- yeah, but you can be the best version of yourself yeah. as a weightlifter as you can. And then maybe. I'll be that person to somebody else who's like, yeah. oh, maybe watching him lift was really cool, even though he didn't win. Yeah. But, you know, he has good technique. He competed well. 
So what weight class are you going to compete at next? 73, for sure. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. and that, I mean, that's another thing that we can, we don't have to talk about like the science behind it, but, you know, just weight cutting in general. I think a lot of people too, their first meet, they want to cut weight. And you, I don't want to necessarily just pick on the people who are doing it at the first meet, but like, if you never cut weight before, I haven't weighed 67 since 2019 and I'm only a kilo and a half heavier, maybe two kilos, but I underestimated how much that was going to affect me on the platform. Yeah. It affects everybody. I mean, it just depending on how you cut. So we won't get into your cut or my client's cut, but there's just, you know, it's always trial and error. It's always a learning experience. And your body is going to react differently, possibly each time. So those that have done water cuts in the past and had success, if they try to do a water cut again, they might not have as much success or it might feel different um, and, and not as good. Or maybe it's easier. You know, it's, it's always trial and error and our bodies are always changing. So I think it's really important to be realistic with your weight class. And there's no sense in cutting weight for a meat, especially a local meat. If there's nothing to to prove for it, there's no medals, there's no making a Pan Ams team or, or an international team. If you have no, I I would say the only time that I would I would agree to having somebody cut weight for a meet is if their goal is to go to American Open Finals and they need to qualify. They don't have a qualifying total in the heavier weight class, but they do have the total if they can cut a few kilos. So then, yeah, that makes sense. Let's bring you down a couple kilos and um, and continue training and, and getting that total so you qualify for finals or for the Arnold next year, whatever. Um, but if that's a goal, then that's something to think about. If if you're going into a local meet and, you know, I, I'm sitting at 61 – I'm not going to cut down to a 59 for a local meet. It just doesn't make sense. I have a qualifying total right now for American Open Finals, which I'm pumped about. Um, there's no sense in me cutting to 59 if I'm if I'm over that. So, I mean, how do you have that conversation with a client? Like maybe somebody's dead set on, hey, I want to compete at this weight class. Um, is it hard to to say maybe that's not the best option for you right now? Yeah, it's more so asking them why, like really, really digging into why they want to weigh that number. What is the significance? Is it the number? Is it the potential to qualify for something? Is it is it driven by something else? So it's just really digging in and figuring out the why behind it. So, and then once we figure out what the why is, and they might shift and, and say like, oh, well, I guess you're right. Like that, it's not that big of a deal if I'm still going to hit the same numbers or if I'm still going to do do this well or if I'm still not going to medal at the meet, then why cut? Why put your body through that? I did medal though. so <laughs> You did. <laughs> that was awesome. That was really exciting. Yeah. Did Wait. I embarrass you when I asked them to announce your medal when <laughs> no, we missed the awards? It was funny. The lady actually made a really good announcement. Too. Yeah, I know. She just on the spot was like, oh, the strongest, strongest weightlifting event ever in history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was quick with it. Yeah, so uh, this was good. I like this. Um, you know, I think it's important to just reflect on it. 
and I mean, if you're listening and this is coming up on your first local meet or your first national meet, hopefully this was at least remotely helpful. Our experiences, things that we did poorly, things that we did well. Um, I hope that you can take it into your own training, your own meet and have success. Yeah. I hope to take a few people to a local meet if I if I have a barbell club at some sort <laughs> of some sort soon. So, um, yeah, I would love to take people to their, their first meet. That would be exciting. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah.